John chapter 19. We're going verse by verse, and uh, we two books we're finishing up here. We went through the book of John on uh, Sunday evenings last year, and so now we're going through um, Judges, or rather Joshua on Sunday evenings, and so we are finishing out the chapter here on Wednesday evenings, and then we still have two chapters left in the book of Isaiah to go through. We'll get back and finish up Isaiah after we get through the book of John. John chapter 19. Once you've found that, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. All right. John chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse number 28. Read down through verse number 30. This is a very um, important passage. This, this chapter here is really pinnacle to... Um, the entire book of, uh, of, of John. Look at 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture may be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now therefore was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. The title of the message this evening is this question, Who Killed Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did come and die. Because if you hadn't been willing to do that, Lord, we'd all be on our way to hell. We're thankful that you came and stepped between us and our condemnation and Lord, you suffered for us so that we could embrace and be labeled by your righteousness. Lord, we're unworthy. And Lord, we have a deep sense of loyalty to you because of what you endured that, that dark day. And Lord, as we look at the Bible tonight and look at a passage that Many of us are familiar with, at least semi-familiar with the details. May our hearts be stirred as we remember what you endured that day so many years ago. Lord God, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The question is this, who killed Jesus? Let's consider the possibilities. Some would say the Romans killed Jesus. After all, it was the Roman government that was in charge. Ultimately, Pilate was a Roman official. He made the decision to have Jesus crucified. Crucifixion was a brutal means of capital punishment. And this idea of crucifixion was strictly Rome. As we saw, the punishment in the Jewish law was not crucifixion for blasphemy, but was stoning. But Jesus was not stoned. He was crucified. And so maybe it was the Romans who killed Jesus. It, by, after all, it was the Roman guards who beat him. It was the Roman guards who put the crown of thorns on his head. It was the Roman guards who nicknamed him mockingly King of the Jews. It was the Roman guards who dro drove the nails into his feet. And his hands, 
Maybe it was the Romans who killed Jesus. Well, maybe it was the Jews who killed Jesus. Uh, It was the Jews who hated Him. It was the Jews who decided to have Him arrested by night. It was the Jews who accused Him of blasphemy falsely and then turned Him over to the Roman government to die. It was the Jews who would choose Barabbas over Jesus. It was the Jews who twisted Pilate's political arm so that Jesus would die. It was the Jews who... Uh, if the Jews had never pressured the Romans, then Jesus would have never been sent to the cross. Maybe it was not the Romans who killed Jesus, but maybe it was the Jews who killed Jesus, or, or was it? Well, I have one more possibility tonight, and maybe it was you and me that killed Jesus. You see, it was the sin of mankind that caused Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth to begin with. It was the sin of mankind that broke down the relationship between God and man. It was the sin of mankind that condemned us to an eternity in hellfire. But it was the love of God that devised a plan. It was the love of God that volunteered to come down and die in our place. Every time that that whip hit the back of Jesus, He took that for me and you. Every time they... me and you. I would say it was me and you that killed Jesus. We look at John 19 and we read the gruesome account of how Jesus died. And we see not only the the details of of his death, but we see the politics around his death. We see Pilate, who is dancing around with the Jews metaphorically, uh, in order to get him there, we see uh, the agony of, of, of Pilate as he's trying to make a difficult decision. Let's jump into our outline tonight. Let's look at these three thoughts as we cover John chapter 19. Look with me at point number one. Notice the politics of Pilate. The politics of Pilate. Let me just say right here, we're moving into election season. 2024 is an election year. And I, I don't really like political season. I, I don't think it's healthy. Uh, how, I, I think that uh, voting in a new president every four years was a good idea by our founding fathers. But, man, the, the, the noise has been turned up so loud and the uh, division in our country is just so strong. And, and I'm a uniter in my heart. I hate division. I hate it in the church. I hate it in my family. 
I definitely hated in the country I love to see an R, uh, someone with an R behind their name and a D behind their name uh, just about come to blows and fist fight. That doesn't please God. It surely doesn't please my heart. And, and uh, I look at our politicians, and it doesn't matter if they have an R behind their name or a D behind their name. Just so many of them, most of them are corrupt, and um, uh, things go on that are just uh, inappropriate and unethical. But I look at our country and its politics, and I look back at the Roman government, and, man, we've got it good compared to what they had. You see, Pilate was the most corrupt of politicians, and here we're going to see that Pilate was a brutal man. He was a evil man. He had no problem uh, drawing blood and hurting someone that he very well knew was innocent. In fact, in the end of chapter 18, uh, look with me at 18, verse 38. Look at 18, verse 38. Pilate saith unto them, uh, saith unto him, what is truth? Look down at 39. Uh, rather, um, uh, hang on here. Let me grab the verse here. I'm doing this off the top of my head. There's a verse in here where he says, I find no fault in him, or he is innocent. And uh, he tells the, the Jews that I, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. There's nothing wrong here. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew Jesus was innocent, yet he sent him to be b- brutally beaten anyway. Let's look at letter A. We'll see the politics of Pilate. Letter A, we see Pilate's brutal tactics. Pilate's brutal tactics. Correct. Look back with me at verse 38. I had the right verse. I just didn't look down far enough. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. You see that there? I find in him no fault at all. Now, if Pilate was a just man, if Pilate was a good judge, if Pilate was a proper judge, then that is the end of the case. He's been examined. He's been found innocent. His dismissal, his release from incarceration should have happened immediately. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. What did he do instead? Look at 19 verse 1. Right after declaring, I find no fault in him, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. So you just declared him innocent, but you're going to have him scourged. Now, John 19 doesn't go into details. Matthew, Mark, and Luke passages there do. This scourging was no just simple beating. He, he, he took a cat of nine tails, leather whips on his back. He, he took, uh, history tells his shards of glass or pottery or stone that dug into his back. And Isaiah 53 says they led, they, they left, um, uh, uh, furrows or, uh, plowed furrows into his body. And, uh, they, he, they beat him, brutally beat this man who, Pilate had just declared to be innocent. Look at verse 2. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And Pilate, standing by watching this happen, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Again, a man who's been declared by Pilate to be innocent, they're, 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 they're beating him. They're scourging him. They're plating a crown of thorns on his head. They're uh, uh, putting a robe on his back. They're buffeting him, punching him 
in the face and mocking him, a man that he's declared to be innocent. Pilate's tactics were brutal. And as I've tried to understand why Pilate would do this, look at verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, they, uh, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Now, trying to climb in the head of a, of a psycho, psychopath, trying to climb in the head of someone like Pilate, who was a brutal man, who seemingly had little to no soul, that only cared about his own political advancement, is difficult as, uh, for me as a young man who grew up in a sheltered Christian home. But can I just tell you what I think may have been going on here? I think that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, yet he knew the crowd wanted Jesus dead, and he thought if he could brutalize him enough, he can bring him out looking beaten and looking weary and looking awful, and maybe that would play up on the pity of the crowd there, and then he would be able to set Jesus free. Maybe, just maybe, if he punished Jesus by scourging him, that would be enough for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and they would let Jesus go. And so Pilate likely, or possibly, beats Jesus, not because he's guilty, not because he's done anything wrong, but because he's got a cold heart, he's a soulless man, and he thinks maybe this tactic will allow him to be set free. Pilate's brutal tactics, again, you can say our justice system is corrupt, and in a lot of ways it is, but thankfully we don't have a justice system that beats people within a half an inch of their life after they've declared them to be innocent. Letter A, Pilate's Brutal tactics, but for politics to be played, there's more than just a political leader involved. There is another party here. Letter B, we see the bloodthirsty priests. The bloodthirsty priests. It wasn't good enough for just Pilate to beat Jesus. That wasn't going to satisfy this bloodthirsty crowd. You see, they hated Jesus. They hated him. Caiaphas had already declared that he needed to die. That was a foregone conclusion. He needed to die. And them seeing Jesus beaten and bludgeoned and mocked and scourged and thorns pushed down on his skull, blood running down his face, a robe on his beaten back, and Jesus standing there with a black eye and a busted lip and and patches in his beard where his hair had been pulled out, that just caused them to want more. What happens when you throw blood into a, 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 a... Rather, you throw torn flesh with blood coming out of it into a pool of piranhas. They don't feel pity for the person. They attack and devour. And these these uh, these uh, religious leaders were like those piranhas. They wanted more. Look at verse 6. So in verse 5, he says, Behold the man. Pilate says to the crowd, look at verse 6, When the chief priest, therefore, and officers saw him, they had pity on him. Is that what it says? No, it says they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him. And a bizarre statement, For I find no fault in him. Crucify him, for I find no fault in him. He's innocent, but go ahead and crucify him. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die. Because he made himself the Son of God. He made himself the Son of God. 
Now, again, I'm reading into the passage. I want to be very clear about this. It seems to me in verse number uh, number six there that Pilate is being sarcastic when he says, crucify him for I find no fault in him. Because it's much later that he actually turns Jesus over to be crucified. There seems to be a back and forth with the priest. And he goes in back in chapter 18. He, he interviews Jesus and he asks Jesus questions. He's fascinated by Jesus. He comes out and declares Jesus to be innocent. He comes out and declares Jesus to be, uh, there'd be nothing wrong with him. He doesn't understand why Jesus has even been turned over. He goes back out and tries to get Jesus released and they pressure yet Pilate more. So he takes Jesus and beats him, brings him out, tries to play the pity card likely, and they're not taking that. So he takes a, he, he, he then says, okay, well then take him and crucify him. I don't find anything wrong with him. And then they say, by our law, he ought to die. Why? Because he's declared himself or he's made himself the son of God. We see letter C, Pilate's begrudging decision. When a pilot hears this phrase, that he's made himself the son of God, this strikes a great fear in the heart of Pilate. Why? Because Pilate has already observed from his conversation with Jesus, this guy's different than any prisoner I've had before. He intrigues me. I don't understand him. And I think Pilate was intimidated by Jesus. And to add to it, other gospel accounts tell us that Pilate's wife was having dreams about Jesus. And Pilate's wife came to him and said, do not touch this man. There's something different about him. I've had bad dreams about this guy. So Pilate already has, if you will, the heebie-jeebies over Jesus and knows there's something different going on here. And then he hears them say that he's made himself to be the son of God. Does Pilate already know about the prophecies about a coming Messiah. It's likely it's his duty to oversee the Jews. He would have needed to know uh, what was important to the Jews. He knew the Jews were looking for a conquering king and a Messiah. And now he wonders if he doesn't have God himself standing in front of him. Look at verse 8 and we see Pilate's fear. We see Pilate's turmoil within. When Pilate therefore heard that saying... He was the more afraid. See the fear there? He heard. He made himself to be the son of God. Now that, that has stricken fear in the heart of Pilate. And went again into the judgment hall. So let me just give you that. Make sure we're all together here. All right. The, the, the chief priests, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, officers are Jews. They will not go into uh, Pilate's palace. They will not go into that inner courtyard because of the pagan idols that were there. They did not want to defile themselves and have to go through a cleansing process because this was uh, this was the day before Passover. They all had their Passover lambs ready at home. They would not be able to participate in Passover if they had gone into this area. So they're standing outside of this giant wall 
wall that surrounds Pilate's palace. And on the outside of that wall was a place where it was a Bemis seat or a judgment seat where Pilate would come and sit. And he would sit up on an elevated plane on this wall and he would talk out to the courtyard where all of these folks were gathered. And so he's going in and out. In fact, in verse in chapter 18, we find seven times where Pilate goes in and comes back out and in and comes back out as he's communicating. So in the courtyard, he has Jesus beaten while the Pharisees are waiting outside the courtyard. They're not witnessing this. He brings Jesus out to this wall where they can see him and presents him there uh, to uh, this bloodthirsty crowd of, of, of priests. And, and then he says, uh, they say he's made himself to be the son of God. Fear strikes the heart of Pilate, and so he takes Jesus back into the courtyard for yet another set of interrogation or questions of Jesus. Look back at verse 9, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Can I tell you what whence art thou means? Where did you come from? Where did you come? Did you come from heaven? They said you made yourself to be the Son of God. Are you here from heaven? Whence art thou? You can hear the fear in his voice that's described in verse number 8. You can hear the fear in verse uh, 9. Look how Jesus handles the question. But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus just stood there quietly. Where are you from, Jesus? Open up your mouth and tell me. And Jesus says nothing. Isaiah 53 says that he was like a lamb led before the, the, the slaughter, that he was dumb. He opened not his mouth. And here Jesus opens not his mouth. Pilate is getting desperate. Verse 10, then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? I love how Jesus answers him. Verse 11. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He said, Hey, let me just catch up to speed here, Pilate. You would have no power right now if my Father in heaven had not given you the power to do this. Understand something here. You wonder if I'm from heaven. The only reason why you have any power right now is because heaven's let you have that power. The greater sin here is not what you're doing. The greater sin are those who've turned you over to me. Turn me over to you, rather. Verse 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. You see the politics being played here between Pilate and the Pharisees, the Sadducees? They, Pilate wants to let him go. He's declared him publicly innocent twice. And then here privately, he's trembling in fear because he believes he might have God standing before him. Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Caesar is the king. Caesar is uh, over the entire Roman Empire. Caesar is Pilate's boss, Pilate's lord. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. You see, they've got him boxed. They've got him trapped. They're set. He wants to let Jesus go because he doesn't want to be the one who sends God to the cross. But the Pharisees are out there saying, if you let him go, 
you are not Caesar's friend. We will report this back to Caesar, and he will have your head on a stick. They've got him trapped. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment in a, 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 a seat in a place. This is that Bema seat. That is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he sat upon the Jews, or he said, and he saith unto the Jews, now listen to me, listen up. Pilate's fearful on the inside, but he's arrogant on the outside. He is not going to let anyone know that he's fearful. All right? I think Jesus knows, but when he brings Jesus back out, now he's back to playing politics. Look, where, look at what he says here. Now he's going to poke at them. He's going to poke at them. Verse 14, end of 14. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Now he's poking at them. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Hear those bloodthirsty priests. Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. The politics being played here are disgusting. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. The politics aren't being done played here. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him on either side. One and Jesus in the, in the midst. Here, Look at what Pilate does here to troll the, the, the priests. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now we'll read more in just a moment. But remember, Nazareth was the ugly part of town. So to say, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus from that place that you don't like. Remember Philip saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember that? Way, way back in John chapter 1. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth... King of the Jews. Why did he do that? Well, he's playing politics. He's trolling them. He's giving them what they want, but he's irritating them along the way. Verse 20. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. So that phrase, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, was written three times. And then as it was when you were crucified... They would nail what you were found guilty for above your head. That would be nailed on the cross above your head. So if you're dying for being a thief, being crucified for being a thief, it was put on there that you were a thief, and anybody who walked by and saw you crucified could look up and see what your crimes were. So what was the crime of Jesus? The crime of Jesus, according to Pilate, was that he was king of the Jews. Well, they didn't like this very much. Look at verse 21. Then said the chief priest, of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he saith, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. It's not changing. You see the begrudging decision here that Pilate makes? 
He doesn't want to send Jesus to the cross. But the, the, the chief priests have, have backed him in a corner. They've boxed him in. They've told him, you either have to kill him or we're going to report this back to Caesar because you're not going to be Caesar's friend. Pilate plays politics with Jesus. He knows he's innocent, but he sends him to die anyway. Number two, let's look at the passion of Jesus. Now, I looked that word passion up today, and there's a bunch of different definitions for the word passion, but way down the list of the definitions is a theological meaning of the word passion, and it describes what Jesus went through on that cross. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these tonight, but I think it's important we look at them. Letter A, notice his pain at Gabbatha. His pain at Gabbatha. Gabbatha meaning the pavement. That was the place he was taken back and forth from. Look back at verse 1. We read it, but let's look at it again. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. They brutally beat him. Throughout my years of studying for uh, sermons and reading about the brutal methods of the Romans, and I won't go into detail here because I know some of us don't have the stomach to handle this. I've read about the way they would do this. Hollywood portrays this as though his hands were were chained to a post and he stood there with his hands down about his waist and they, they beat him as he fell. And When I've read in history, that's not how it worked. You see, what they would do is they would tie your hands up by your wrists and they would they would lift you up until you were just on your balls of your feet so that your skin was as stretched out as it could be and you couldn't move. And then they'd beat you. There was no wincing or getting away from it. We don't know how many times they hit Jesus with the cat of nine tails. He wasn't a Roman citizen, so 39 wouldn't have been the limit. But we know they beat him. Do you know... I know you know this, but it's good to be reminded. There were legions of angels standing on the edge of heaven waiting to step in and stop it. And Jesus knew that. But he didn't. I, I, I don't have a point of reference on what Jesus endured. Some years ago, when I was a boy, when I was a boy in the 90s, some, there was a guy in another country who had stolen something. And I remember all the outrage in the news is that this American citizen in another country had stolen something and he was arrested for it. Some of you may remember this news story. It was a big deal back when it happened. And his punishment was that he was going to be beaten with a rod. And if you remember that story in the news all those years ago, and man, it was all the outrage. You know what I think people don't do in that country? I think they probably don't steal very much, knowing you're going to be publicly beaten with a rod. The closest point of reference I have is being spanked with a belt by my dad. I was one belt on my rear end or the top of my legs for a couple minutes, a couple moments. I can't imagine what he went through. Can't imagine the pain he endured. Now, I've heard preachers go into gruesome detail and describe it in a way that I've wondered if it wasn't sensationalized or exaggerated. I'm not going to do that. I don't know. But I do know that kind of nine tails is nothing to be played around with. They took thorns, and if you go to Israel and you look at the thorns that are over there, we're not talking about a little thorn bush that you snag your pants on walking through the woods. We're talking about thorns that are an inch or two long. They would heat up 
these thorns to where they were soft. They would shape them into a circle, weave them together. When they would uh, cool back down, they would harden in the shape of a crown. Then they took a reed and they mashed that down into between his skin and his skull. They put a robe on his back. They got down on their knees after slapping him in the face and they they mocked him. His pain at Gabbatha, let her be his piercing at Golgotha. Look at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier, a part and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. Look down at verse 25. Look at verse 24 in a moment. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister. So his mother and his aunt are there. And then also Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, This is John, John the Apostle. Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Verse 28 and After this, Jesus, knowing all things, were now accomplished that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now therefore was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You know, there's a lot here. There's a lot here to unpack. Let me just point out a couple things here. Jesus in his agony was not concerned about himself. Jesus in his agony was concerned about others. You ever gone through a hard time and wondered, God, why are you letting me go through this? We've all been there, right? Gone through a hardship. Maybe you've been laying in bed sick. I remember when I had COVID back three years ago. It's the sickest I've ever been. I think I went to the emergency room a couple of times, and I, I felt like I was dying. I did. And some of you have been through sicknesses like that where it's just hard, and you're laying on your back thinking, how much longer am I going to have to endure this? This is difficult. The last thing I'm thinking about when I'm in great suffering is the needs of others. I'm just trying to survive. There Jesus is hanging on that cross nails in his hands and his feet, having to pull himself up just to breathe. And he's concerned about the thief next to him who wants to be saved. Then he looks down and he sees his mother. He sees his mother. His mother standing there weeping. To all the women in here who have children, can you imagine seeing your boy up there on the cross? Knowing he had done nothing wrong? Can you imagine the heartache of her soul, heartache and hurt. No doubt she's standing there weeping and John's got his arm around her probably comforting her. And Why was it that John was one of the only, if not the only apostle not to die a martyr's death? I think it's in part because the Lord Jesus had assigned him to take care of his mother. John, as far as we know, was the only disciple to show up to the cross. And the Lord allowed him to be spared and let him die of natural causes. 
There's um, historical records that when John pastored the church in Ephesus, some 60 years later, that Mary would be there with him. He took care of the mother of our Lord. Then we see his thirst. We see him crying, it is finished. Look at verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. The Greek word there is the word tetelestai. That's a fascinating word. Tetelestai. Listen up now. Tetelestai. When you owed a debt, they would keep a ledger. And every time you'd make a payment, they would reduce what you owed. And when you had finished paying off that debt, they would take and they would stamp the word tetelestai. It is finished. Paid in full. The debt is paid for. Why did Jesus die? Did he die because the Romans Romans nailed him up there? No. Did he die because the Jews turned him over? No. Those things were all used. Jesus did not die because the Romans put him up there or because the Jews hated him. Jesus died to pay my sin debt and to pay your sin debt. He was pierced so that we could be set free. He went through all that pain and suffering for the salvation of our souls. He did all that so that our debt could be paid. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Let her see. We see His preparation for the grave. Look at verse 38. The Bible says, And after this Joseph of Arimathea, being disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly for fear of the Jews... Besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He, be, he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus. This is the same Nicodemus from chapter 3, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe. This is incredible. About a hundred pound weight. That's a lot of myrrh and aloe. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher where was never uh, never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, before the Jews, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, these Closet disciples of Jesus who were not willing to give out, sell out on the Pharisees took the time to take Jesus and Jesus would be laid in Joseph's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and Nicodemus would anoint his body with ointment. We see his preparation for the grave. We've seen the politics of Pilate, the passion of Jesus. Let's quickly look at number three, the prophecies of Scripture. I want, to, want us to get through these because I don't have a full sermon out of this for next week. So let's, uh, let, let's get through these quickly and we'll be done by uh, no, no later than 8.20. Let her notice they would gamble for his garment. They would gamble for his garment. Look at verse 23 and 24. And there's a phrase you find throughout. We'll see this phrase over and over again here. The Bible says, Then the soldiers, when they uh, had crucified Jesus, took his garment and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam. Woven from the top throughout, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. 
Whose it shall be. Look at this next phrase. That the scripture might be fulfilled. We see that over and over again in this chapter. Which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Turn with me quickly to Psalm 22 and put a mark there, because we're going to look at uh, uh, the book of Psalm uh, three times in a row here. Psalm chapter 22. Flip over there with me. Psalm 22. And if you ever want to just read Psalm 22, you can see that this is an Old Testament prophecy of how Jesus would die. But look with me at verse 18 here. This is amazing. Some 2,000 years prior to Jesus being crucified, David would write, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You see that there? You see that? Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Look at it again. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And that robe they put on Jesus when they beat him back in Pilate's judgment hall, they, they took that robe off of him when they nailed him to the cross, and instead of tearing it, it didn't have a seam in it, they, they, they gambled for it. They cast lots for it uh, to see how they could get it. This was prophesied that this would happen many years prior. Letter B, uh, he would tell of his thirst. Look back at verse 29. Hold your place in Psalm 22. Look with me at uh, so, uh, uh, verse 28 and 29 of John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. There's that phrase, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. 29, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Look back with me at uh, Psalm 22. This time look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaw, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Just as it was prophesied that this Messiah, suffering servant, would be thirsty, Jesus would cry out, I thirst. He would tell of his thirst. He would, they would gamble over his garment. Let her see. His bones would not be broken. His bones would not be broken. Look at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross of the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was, a, 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 was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken uh, and that they might be taken away. Now, why would they do this? Because when you were crucified, what they would do is uh, they, they, they would nail your feet they put a little pedestal underneath your feet, and then you could hold yourself, pull, push, push and pull yourself up and breathe. But once your legs were broken, there was no elevating yourself to breathe, and then your chest would, would not be able to lift up. Your heart would explode within your chest, and you would die. That would expedite the death process. Instead of um, uh, being able to hang up there for hours, they needed him dead quickly because uh, the Passover was coming and they needed them uh, dead before sunset. Uh, look back with me at verse number 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which were crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came, uh, came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, that he, uh, that he knoweth, that he saith true, that ye may believe. For these things were done, here it is again, that the Scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him should not be broken. Look with me at uh, his bones not being broken. Look with me at Psalm 34. Psalm 34, uh, over in the Old Testament, we're in 22. Just flip over to chapter 34 and look at verse number 20. Psalm 34, 
He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Not a single bone of Jesus would be broken the entire time he was crucified. Now, they were told to break the bones by the Roman centurion of the legs. But when they came to Jesus, they could see there's no reason to break his legs. He's dead. He's gone. The sin of the world had killed him. And so instead of breaking his legs, instead they ran a spear up where he was on the cross and put it into his side. That brings us to letter D. We see here the prophecies of Scripture. We see his physique would be pierced. And I put physique, one, because it starts with a P, but because not only his side was pierced, his hands and his feet were pierced. Look at verse 37. John 19, 37. And again, another Scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they have, uh, whom they pierced, rather. Look, uh, look with me back at Psalm 22 and look at verse 14. We're, we're, we're wrapping it up right here. Psalm 22, 14. Again, the prophecy, I am poured out like water. All my, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melteth in the midst of my bowels. Uh, scientists tell us that when someone's heart explodes, literally explodes, that water, and someone shed all their blood, water and blood mingle, come running out of their side. And so his heart, melt. Jesus literally died of a broken heart. Look with me lastly at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah is there in the Minor Prophets. Uh, flip over there quickly. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, uh, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, Zephaniah, Zephan, uh, Zephaniah, or rather uh, Zechariah, chapter 12. Quickly here, Zechariah 12, and listen to what uh, verse 10 says here. It says, And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So Jesus was pierced. The, Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies when he died on the cross. To those Jews who say that Jesus was not the Messiah, well, he sure fulfilled a lot of prophecies, and he died again for me and you. Who killed Jesus? Our sin killed Jesus. Aren't you glad he came and died for our sin? Amen. He died to set us free. If you've not yet put your faith and trust in Christ alone, let me tell you, you don't get there from being a good person. If being a good person got you to heaven, then why would Jesus have endured all that? He endured all that because we were hopeless. We were hellbound. He died so that we could know eternal life. And as he told Nicodemus, you have to believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. You believe in Jesus alone. There's no other way. Amen? If you haven't done that tonight, let me encourage you to just bow your head. And pray and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm hellbound. Forgive my sin. Save my soul. My faith is in you alone. Call on him the way that thief did. Let's stand together. Tonight, we'll be dismissed, sent forth with a word of prayer. Reminder about Saturday. We have Great Commission Saturday. Then we have a men's prayer meeting at, um, at uh, 4 p.m. on Saturday. Men, I encourage you to come and be there, all right? Let's pray. We'll go, we'll go home.